God is good. He has changed my life. And as we think about Valentine's Day tomorrow and love is, you know, in the air for many of us, some of you would also identify Valentine's Day as what we know as Singles Awareness Day, right? Anybody out there? Yeah. But um, the truth is that Scripture actually talks a lot about love. And so I'm going to be teaching from Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5 this morning. Um, But as I was studying this and and talking about love in preparation for this message, it reminded me many years back after college, I was newly married. I sold furniture at a sales associate. I was a sales associate at a furniture store in Ruston. That was an exciting time of my life, right? And so around Valentine's Day, you would get these guys who would come in to the store and they'd be like, I need a Valentine's Day gift for my wife, right? So we had a couple things. We had like a a little vanity set with the mirror and the stool. And so we would order those for some gentlemen. Sometimes they'd want to buy a jewelry cabinet, right? And you'd have women that would come in also, I need to find the right Valentine's Day gift for my husband or the man I love. And so usually it would be a recliner. Those are very thoughtful gifts. But if you have just now remembered that it's Valentine's Day, as Dr. Brooks said earlier, I encourage you to go to Walgreens or Walmart. So Scripture actually speaks a lot about love. So we're just going to talk about love in several ways today, specifically three practices that will help us love God and love others well. Three practices we're going to look at this morning from this section in Ephesians that will help us love God and love others well. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, or if you have an electronic device or a Bible app, you can follow along there too. Now, Paul is writing to Christians at the church in Ephesus. That's why this book's called Ephesians, because it's named after the church in Ephesus. So he's writing to believers, people who have accepted Jesus as their Savior. And we're going to read through some action steps of love, but also some list of different sins that he is pointing out in their lives as Christians that need to be changed. And so let's catch this together in verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Remember, he's speaking to Christians. Be imitators of God. That's how he starts chapter 5. Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed because these are improper for God's holy people. And he closes it out with verse 4 at this section we're reading this morning. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So as we look through this very deep, intense section of Scripture The first of these three practices that I want us to understand from this passage this morning is to imitate God and live a life of love. You know, as we think about Valentine's Day and love is on many of our minds coming into today, going into tomorrow, 
as Christians and followers of Jesus, first, we are to imitate God and live lives of love to others. And we're commanded to do this by Paul. You know, nothing pleases a father or mother more than when their children imitate their best character traits. It's shameful and miserable when you see your kids misbehaving and doing things they should not be doing. But when our children imitate our best character traits, it makes us proud. And as Christians, we are to imitate God and walk in love to all other people. But what does this actually mean? What does it mean to imitate God? What does it mean to live a life of love to God and to others? I think about it like this. My entire life growing up, I looked like my father. And so when I would see people who knew my dad, Tom Murphy, or I've even talked to people who know my dad and meet me for the first time, they're like, you look just like your father. And as a kid, people would be like, you just look like your dad, poor kid, you know. And my, my children as well, the Murphy genes are strong. They look a lot like me. And so people say things like, you couldn't deny those kids if you wanted to, you know, and because it's obvious who their father is. It was obvious who my father was. And so in the same way as Christians, we are to imitate God and walk and live in love towards all other people. But sometimes it's hard to do that. Let's just be real. Sometimes it is hard to imitate God. It's hard to live in love and live a life of love towards other people because many days we wake up and we're just having a bad day. Or sometimes people have difficult personalities. Sometimes people can be annoying. Don't look at the person next to you. But it happens. And so as children of God, we are to be like the Lord in such a way that it is obvious who our spiritual father is. When we follow the Lord, we are to live lives of love as imitators of God, that it is obvious that God is our father. And so this is not easy. As I mentioned, sometimes we have difficult days, but imitating God and living lives of love actually go hand in hand because you can't properly love other people if you're not imitating God. Then you're responding in your human capacity. You can't properly imitate God if you're not loving others because he tells us to live in love towards others, to be love to them. In verse 2 of chapter 5, he says, Live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. That word sacrifice is important because Jesus demonstrated his love for us by becoming a sacrifice for us. He surrendered his life to the cross to die for our sin, sacrificial death for our sin. He was placed in a human grave and resurrected three days later so that if anyone trusts in him, we can have that same saving and resurrection life when we believe in Jesus. And that's good news for us because we can also have a personal relationship with the Lord while we're here on the earth. And as Jesus gave his blood as a sacrifice, as he was obedient to God the Father and coming to us as a sacrifice, for us as Christians, imitation of God means that when we follow Jesus, we need to surrender our whole lives to serve him. And we're giving up everything to follow the Lord obediently. Sacrifice is key to imitate God and live a life of love properly. Sacrifice is key to imitate God and live a life of love properly. That means we imitate God in our lifestyle as Christians. We imitate God in our conversations. We imitate God in the way we use our time. It means that we must sacrifice our pride 
to be kind to people who don't deserve it. We must sacrifice our pride and imitate God to be compassionate to others, especially those who are hurting around us, people who need forgiveness. So I'm thinking about things for myself in my own life, like does the way I drive and obey traffic laws imitate God? My kids may say different things. I'm working on that. Does the way I communicate to my children and my spouse show that I'm trying to imitate God? Do I intentionally sacrifice my time, personal time, maybe even time doing hobbies or you know, recreation to make time to spend with the Lord during the day? Do I conduct myself in business, working with coworkers and treating employees in a way that imitates God? Do I feel a sacrifice happening when I give financially to my church, my tithes and my offerings? Do I feel a sacrifice happening when I'm going to be generous to someone? It takes sacrifice to imitate God and live a life of love properly. The truth is that if we profess to be followers of Christ, that obligates us to represent God's love to others. We as Christians are obligated to express God's love to other people. That's what it means to live a life of love. The problem with being a Christian, though, is that we never have an excuse to withhold love from someone. As Christians, we never have an excuse to withhold the love of God from someone. Instead, we should be giving ourselves out, going to them, helping them understand how much God loved us, because that can be life-changing to other people. And it's hard to do this sometimes. It's hard to love other people, especially when we're having a difficult day or when they are being difficult. In 1992, a Christian author named Gary Chapman wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. And I've done this assessment and quiz to determine what my love language is. And if you look up the five love languages online, you can find his you know, quiz you can do electronically. You can print it out and determine what your primary love language is. And he came up with these as ways that people understand they are loved and ways that humans show love to other people. And there are five primary love languages he describes. The first is words of affirmation. That means you say things to show love to people. The second is quality time. It means that you make time to spend with other people to help them feel loved. The third is physical touch, and that could be a handshake, hug, pat on the back, or other physical, romantic, intimate ways of demonstrating love to other people. Acts of service is the fourth way he talks about how we show love. I love when people clean the living room for me, but I don't necessarily feel love because it's going to get messed up again and I'll have to clean it anyway. But my primary love language is words of encouragement. I love when people encourage me and say kind things to me. And then finally, giving gifts is a, a big way of how people feel love. You can give someone a gift or if you receive a gift from them, maybe you feel greatly loved in that way. No matter what your love language is, many times we have to make sacrifices in our life to express love to other people. Sometimes we're going to forget to express love to the people we care about in their love language, and we have to work hard at this. So sacrifice is key for us to imitate God and show love to others properly. Jesus showed us that sacrifice is key when it comes to imitating God, and we can follow his example. The two things are sure. When we are doing our best to imitate God— and to live lives of love, the first thing that is certain that will happen is temptation will show up. We will be tempted to withhold love because the person we are expressing love to may not deserve our kindness. Maybe they've been mean to us. They've hurt our feelings. 
And we're to step into that situation and demonstrate love. And the second thing is that we can be sure when we're trying to sacrifice something to show love, that selfishness will appear. It's kind of like Christmas shopping when you're out looking for gifts for other people and you come home with a bag of things for yourself. Many times when we're trying to express love, it could be to people who don't deserve it. We're trying to make a sacrifice. Sometimes it's not well received or it's not understood. And we're like, well, I could have done something different. First Corinthians 10, 13 reminds us that whenever we're tempted to not love people properly, he says, you will not be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, God will provide a way out because no temptation has seized us as humans besides those which are common to man, common to all of us. And so when we are tempted, we should remember to live in love. We should never withhold love. We should always sacrifice ourselves to love people properly. It's not just enough to love people. There are several things in this passage that Paul makes note of that I want us to understand this morning. The second is that as we imitate God and we live lives of love, of love to God and to others, we are to uproot sin and keep it from growing in our lives. Maybe you have a flower bed at your house. I have several flower beds. Or if you have a garden, sometimes there are weeds that grow in that ground. And the purpose of a weed is to grow, and a lot of times it finds strength from entangling itself around the plants that are actually supposed to be in that flower bed or the vegetables in that garden. And when you pull the weeds, it takes its life source away. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he writes, The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And sin tries to grow in our lives and devour us as Christians, because even though we've received salvation, we are not exempt from the temptation of sin. John 10.10, Jesus tells his followers, the thief, who is the devil, comes to steal, steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have life abundantly. And Paul is writing this section of Scripture because he saw Christians in the modern church at that time struggling with many of these sinful traits. And the truth is, if, as I have seen these in my own life, I think many of us here today are struggling with certain things. We're not special just because we deal with a certain sin. We all struggle, you know, corporately. We're all prone to sin. And so if we read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 again, and then chapter 5, verse 4, I'd like you to take mental notes if you realize, man, maybe in my life I have some of these sinful traits that are popping up. I want to go through this list again. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And if you bump bump down to verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Instead, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Then jump down to verse 3 of chapter 5. And remember, he's talking specifically to Christians in the church at this time. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or of greed, because they are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So as we read this passage and we really understand what Paul is talking about, he's saying that if sin is allowed into our lives, it will stifle, sin will stunt, and sin will strangle the love of God from being dominant in us. 
If we allow sin to live in our lives, it will stifle, stunt, and strangle the love of God from being dominant in us as followers of Jesus. And that's dangerous. You wouldn't just wake up one day and walk out of your house and be called a brawler, right? That's someone who fights and gets into, you know, fits of rage and takes out their anger in very strong ways. And you wouldn't be considered a brawler just all of a sudden, But maybe over time, as you allow anger to produce itself in your life, maybe you find yourself slamming your fist on the table or punching a wall when you're upset, and then someone makes you angry and you shove them. We see this a lot in teenagers as we're learning to control our anger. I experienced that myself. And you you push someone, and before you know, you could get into a fight. And it's very dangerous to allow sin to produce itself in your life, especially the lives of believers. But good news is Jesus has saved us from our sin if we will receive it. This reminds me of a story that I read in preparation for this message. April 17th, 2021, there was a young Middle Eastern man who raised a pet, pet lion. I almost said tiger, but he raised a lion. And he had this lion for several years. It grew up to be an adult lion. Most of their interactions were friendly, but he was sent to the hospital last year because of strong wounds he had received from this lion. It hurt him and sent him to the hospital. Authorities later had to put the lion down because it had killed this individual man. And so I think about sin the same way as the story of this lion. Allowing sin to live in our lives works the same way. It's like raising this pet lion. When it grows up, although we keep it as a pet, it's actually a predator. Although sometimes we may have pet sins or little hidden sins that we enjoy, they're still predatory by nature. They seek to kill us and destroy us. And we live in a culture that capitalizes on our sinful behavior. But as followers of Jesus, we are to die to our sins. We have to uproot sin and keep it from growing in our lives. Many times we're so focused on the sinful world outside of our lives, the world around us that is controlled and dominated and being destroyed by sin, that we are unaware of the sin that is actually in us trying to destroy us. And this is so dangerous. This is how sin is allowed to grow in the life of a believer. Nowhere in Scripture does this allow for us to have pet sins or guilty pleasure sins. Nowhere in Scripture does Paul affirm weekend behavior sins or like sins that we put away in our closet and pull out when we want to have a good time or when our emotions feel a certain way. Sometimes we lean on certain sins to help us cope with life and really deal with the situation. But Paul says we must get rid of these things as followers of Christ in chapter 4 verse 30, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, because it grieves God's heart when we behave in sinful ways. It hurts him. Since righteousness is the standard that we're called to as Christians, we cannot let sin continue in our lives. But it's important to remember as followers of Jesus that we live in a world that capitalizes on our sinful behavior Many times our sins feel comfortable, they feel normal to us, and maybe something on this this list that Paul wrote to the believers, as the Word of God stuck you, it's stuck me in past years, and even as I'm preaching this morning, I'm aware of things in my life that I need to continually surrender to the Lord. As a pastor, I'm not exempt from sin, I'm not free of temptation, 
But it's not just enough to uproot sin in our lives and keep it from growing. If we're really going to imitate the Lord and live lives of love with others, then the third practice that we need to put into action this morning is to cultivate kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and thankfulness. We'll be closing out with this point this morning. But these things, as Paul writes in chapter 4, verse 32, In chapter 5, verse 4, I want to review them real quick. As he says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and every form of malice. Malice is the desire to do evil or having ill will towards someone. In verse 2, he says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. And at the end of verse 4, as he tells us there should be no obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, because those are out of place for us as believers, he said, but rather thanksgiving. And so we struggle to do this. Where we uproot sin, we need to begin cultivating and growing kindness and compassion, forgiveness and thankfulness, because these are essential for all believers. I chose this word cultivate. You know, it's an agricultural term that means to grow and produce things in the soil. As we talked about uprooting weeds, we need to be growing these things in its place in our lives. You can be a very mature Christian, but if you don't have the capacity to forgive people well who have hurt you, you need to begin cultivating that in your life. If you're a new Christian, you may naturally be a kind person. But without the Holy Spirit working and building kindness in our lives, we will never be kind the way Jesus Christ was kind. And so I have two action steps to help us do this, to help us cultivate kindness, compassion, forgiveness, and thankfulness. The first is that we need to pray and ask God to produce these traits in our lives. We need to pray and ask God to produce them. And I would even name them. As I've done this personally, I've, I've said things like, God, I really need to be kind toward this person today at my job or kind in this situation. I know this person hurt me, but I need to forgive them. But it feels so comfortable to hold on to that grudge. Lord, produce forgiveness in my life. And the second thing we can practice is actually practicing that trait. The second second action step we can take is not just praying for God to produce these in our lives, but actually practicing being kind. If you're in a line at the store and you're rushed and your watch shows that you're late, instead of being frustrated, which is not going to produce any positive results, practice being kind. Maybe give the cashier a kind word because many people have probably told her frustrating words that day. Philippians 1.6, Paul writes to more believers. He says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of completion. As we're doing well in one of these areas, we may find that we're really struggling in another. This is a long process. As I mentioned to you at the beginning of my message, I used to work at a furniture store just after college. And I sold furniture for several years as a sales consultant, and it was a difficult environment to work in. It was a frustrating atmosphere. You were working with the general public. And many days I would show up miserable going to my job because that's the kind of situation that I convinced myself I was in. But during that time, God began to produce different things in my life, like a desire to follow him and imitate him more closely. And so as I began to pray in the mornings before I go to work, I'd be like, God, I'm miserable at my job. And he said, but this is your mission field. 
And he began building things in my life as I would ask him to, like kindness and forgiveness. And one morning I realized I was caught up in bitterness. I had been involved with some of this foolish talk and making jokes about people at work that were very unhealthy, very rude. I've been talking about, you know, management and people in the store behind their backs. And I had to go to this gentleman one day. I feel like the Lord had impressed on my heart to go to him. So I went to Mr. Kurt and I said, Mr. Kurt, I need to apologize to you, and you may not even realize that I've been doing this, but I have been talking about you behind your back for months. And as someone who claims to be a Christian, it is improper for me to do that. And so I'd like you to forgive me. I know you may not be able to, but I need your forgiveness. And he stood up in that moment, he hugged me, and he said, Jonathan, I'm a Christian too, and I'm just as miserable as you are at this job. But knowing that you are here, we can work together to be the light of Jesus. And that's what it's all about, is we want to be imitators of God, as we want to live lives of others. We would like to give you a chance to respond this morning. Maybe God is working in your heart. Maybe he's stirring something in you. As Jeremy plays and sings here in a moment, we're going to open up the front of the stage as an altar. Maybe you need to call someone this morning and text them and repair a relationship Maybe you need to ask forgiveness for someone for the way you've treated them. Maybe you need to come and lay some things down before the Lord this morning and say, God, work in my heart. Help me to realize that the place I'm in is miserable, but it's also my mission field. If you would like to accept the salvation of Jesus this morning and let him relieve that burden of sin that you've been carrying in your life, we will have ministers here at the front to talk to you about doing that. Jeremy's going to play and lead us in a time of response, but I want to encourage you, don't let anything hold you back from doing business with the Lord this morning.